Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, this is the Inferno, episode 21, the first of 2023. Welcome, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Dana Scott, with co-host Patrick Batillo. Sorry, Dr. Patrick Batillo. Can't forget that. <laughs> A.K.A. Mr. Orange, well-deserved doctor title since he just earned his doctorate. And also, our legendary guest, Sed Sabalis. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. Merry New Year, guys. Yes, and I hope everybody had a great holiday season. And let's get right to it. The Suns podcast is something that we've cherished having for the past year. So 2022 is over. 2023 is something new. We're honored to have said every episode as we had uh, towards the end of the last quarter, and we're going to move on. But the Suns, they're struggling right now, 21 and 23, They've basically just been spiraling from the loss of so many key players, mainly their four starters and Cam Johnson, um, Chris Paul, Devin Booker. Uh, Aiton uh, has been in and out from injuries, dealing with ankle issues on and off since the start of the season. But uh, they've been basically wondering, people have been wondering if they're going to make any moves around the trade deadline. January 15th, Today is the start of the uh, DeAndre Ayton's eligibility to be traded because of the fact that he's a restricted free agent and they signed him to a max. He has eligibility to be traded, but also the right to veto a trade. So will the Suns make any moves before the February 9th trade deadline? And who will it be if not Ayton before that deadline? Patrick, you go first this time. For me, I think uh, Aiden, I, I think that's a wild card. I don't know. Um, obviously, with him having the veto power, I don't know what moves uh, the front office would look to make. You know, James Jones, will that impact chemistry if he does choose to veto it uh, and and the likelihood? So uh, to me, I, I would I would be a little bit surprised if Aiden's involved in that, uh, being that he has uh, control of the situation somewhat. Uh, For me, Jay Crowder. So what what are we doing there? Um, Obviously, you know, he hasn't played a game with us this season. Uh, He came out and uh, made some public comments that, you know, have now drawn some attention and uh, has not helped the situation overall. So I think uh, Jay Crowder is who I expect uh, that some type of a deal is done uh, before the trade deadline. Said, what do you think? Well, you know, Aiden, you know, obviously been on and off this year. It's not only because of the injuries, but just his play and the demeanor between the staff and uh, his on-court presence. Uh, But with all that being said, I mean, he's top five. He's top five center in the league. You know, the way he plays, the ability, you know, uh, that he uh, can can force you to collapse your defense, being that this is a three-point shooting league now. uh, You need that. You know, look at the teams that, have had great 
ball movement. Uh, their center has been that great, that great force of that. And that doesn't mean that he has to be seven foot or, or, or huge. Obviously, Golden State has proven that. But he just have to have a presence in that paint to make people collapse in. So I think he he can be used on on anybody's team. Now, whether he vetoes a trade or not, I think it will be, you know, it, it would make some make some feathers kind of ruffle up if he did that. But I think most importantly, uh, two things that the, the Suns need to really worry about. Uh, one, the point guard, Chris Paul. I mean, he gave it a good ride. Is, is he at the point where he's going to start chasing the ring or – because uh, obviously financially he's he's taking care of himself and uh, obviously his family, but he you know he's winding down. Uh, maybe maybe five years. I, I'm I'm just throwing five years out there. Um, and and does he do it now to try to as he's seen the league on who's has the potential of, of winning a championship? Who may or may not is still really up in the air between all the teams. Nobody's really dominating. Uh, even Boston uh, shows some flashes of of they can be beat at any given time. Uh, but other than Aiden and uh, Chris Paul, you know, what are the Suns going to do with Jay Crowder? I mean, that's that's the biggest thing right there. Like, you know, they need him badly. They need an enforcer. They need a stopper. They need a, a glue guy uh, to to piece this defense together. And having a record of 20, 21 and 23, I think that really affects it. Now, 21, 23, everybody's looking at, like, oh, they're, you know, a couple games below 500, but that's real that's a pretty good record in the West. <laughs> you know, there's still playoff potential, you know, and anything can happen as we saw in the bubble years ago. Anything can happen once you get inside uh, of, of that playoff pitcher. So uh, I think those are the uh, things that they need to address when it comes to this trade. And uh, Jones does, does have a lot on his plate to try to worry about. But, um, but you said it too, uh, Dana, big is the chemistry if Aiton does veto any trade. Yeah, because – if he does end up getting traded somewhere, I see Washington in the picture possibly, but I don't know because he's a max player and they just signed Bradley Beal to a max deal for about $250 million in the offseason uh, for, I believe, was it five years. So uh, they're, they're not going to – or maybe six, but they're not going to try to take on – another max deal as they're tanking or not tanking, but they're, they're playing competitively, but they're not winning. You know, right now they are currently in the same spot that the Suns are in pretty much. They, they are in a 12th place actually, I should say, and the Suns are in 10th. They've slipped from first to 10th in a month. And I think that the Suns, need to make a move somehow. Crowder should be first on the list. I'm surprised they haven't called him to kiss and make up already based on what Crowder said the other day in that Bleacher Report uh, story uh, about how uh, that Chris Haynes broke and saying that uh, he was really, really uh, hurt by the Suns, basically not wanting to include him in the in the end, or basically not happy with his role. It has nothing to do with financial terms of wanting to extend him. Uh, or anything like that. It's just, I'm just really surprised the Suns, given that they have struggled with the physicality and on defense and just had so many letdowns, like we saw in that Minnesota game the other night, uh, that Crowder would have been a difference maker in so many ways of intangibles that they need right now. I mean, I, I think that if Aiton definitely would change the culture so much. He's a hometown guy, and he's he actually seems to be happy with his team uh, and and he's a big part of what they do, as James Jones, their GM, always says. So, um, but if anything, 
they added Saban Lee as a 10-day guy. They If they do make a trade, I could see somebody uh, being traded who has value right now, such as maybe uh, Dwayne Washington Jr., who has played well, but there are times where he, in the second year, his maturity seems like it's lacking in some spots, whereas he's overshooting rather than you know, distributing the ball. He's been sitting in fourth quarters in, in key games. Even the Warriors game when the Suns were up and Monty wanted to go bigger and not go small, which is why he they didn't keep him out there, even though he had the game high, um, you know, 25 points. So uh, I, I could see Dwayne Washington Jr. being moved, being that he is playing well and he could be an asset to some other team and they could get um, a more experienced uh, veteran ball handler in return. So it, it could be him. Um, campaign's been hurt, so it might not be him. Uh, it, it, but I think that it should be somebody that will help get them points, get veteran leadership. Maybe even – I see Kemba Walker. He's, you know, on the block right now basically for anybody to pick up. He hasn't been moved anywhere. He's a veteran guy, even though his injuries kind of derailed his career. You know, but when Dallas cut him to not give him that guaranteed money two weeks ago – uh, that he could be picked up off waivers and he could be an asset to a team like the Suns right now in the backcourt, you know, as they're lacking somebody who could help secure um, and stabilize the offense, you know, off the bench for just 18 minutes a night, uh, as, you know, Dwayne has done, you know, in this past, uh, you know, 11 games or so. But I also think where somebody like Cam Johnson, when he comes back, that will be the difference maker. And seeing that also where they're struggling from the three, they shot well from the three the other night, but that only was a band-aid for what other things that they couldn't basically make up, which was the hustle, the, you know, the aggression. And they, at halftime, they were getting beat and points in the paint, you know, 36 to 18. And Cam Johnson is a guy who likes to attack the paint a lot. So what do you see about Cam Johnson coming back on the 19th against the Brooklyn Nets when they start that uh Five, four game homestand. I believe. So I'm sorry. Five game homestand. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Seth? Well, the biggest thing about Cam is his energy. Uh, uh, and also when he's out there with Mikhail, that's those two tandem, they understand their role. Uh, kind of like when me and Richard Dumas uh, uh, back in 30 years ago, you know, we, we, you know, just average small forwards combining to be one great all-star small forward in that when you go for statistics and, and activity on the floor. Uh, I think the biggest thing is the consistency. You, you know, there's really no knowing on who's going to play eight minutes and who's going to play 38 minutes uh, on, on some given occasions. It depends on who's hot. Uh, we remember Washington Jr. We got the fire. You know, obviously he he has a little – he does get trigger happy uh, in some immaturity shots. But, uh, you know, when he gets on fire – uh, and that's just how the Suns are. You know, he's taking the trait on as a team because when they're making threes, yeah, everything else goes great. But when, when they're not making threes, they're bread and butter. Uh, Devin's not there to uh, to 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 rescue them with an, a quick, you know, 10 or 20 points uh, quarter, something like that. Uh, it, it makes it really difficult to get the little things, the little tangibles. And I think that's when Cam comes back, uh, not only uh, height, length, athleticism, but just to his brains. I mean, I think Cam has a a really good way of of understanding where he's supposed to be. And he also knows his role, which is more and more importantly, he's not trying to prove himself uh, as you go down the bench from player number six, seven, eight, ninth. They're trying to prove themselves not only to their teammates, 
but the coaching staff, but then also other teams around the league because they might not get an opportunity like this, uh, you know, like I said, from the eight minutes to 38 minutes. So the film is rolling, they're recording on him, but I think Cam is secure in his position where he knows he has to be the scrappy guy. Him and Mikel know they have to be the scrappy guy. They have to go out uh, and get the loose balls, get the tips uh, and the deflections on defense, which triggers their fast breaks, And it, which was real odd because I thought that they were last in the league in fast breaks, but Dallas is, and which is you know, probably – so, because Luca holds the ball all the time, and, and even right. when they get defensive rebounds, yeah. they just stop. Like, where's Luca? I'm not going to dribble two times unless Luca has the basketball, which is kind of stagnating uh, to where they are. But that's another team. But I, I really do think that once the injury bug does go away, you solve a lot of problems. But you know, the hard part about it for Monty and James is is that you you, you can't really rush, and you don't really want to rush, uh, especially a guy. Uh, or guys like Cam uh, and also uh, Booker from coming back too too early, right? Patrick, your take? Yeah, I I think the biggest piece is is that uh, consistency and stability, and then tied to leadership. So who's going to really guide the group on the floor? Right, uh, we're missing that and heavily, especially when adversity hits or or they go on these runs. Who's going to be able to kind of steady the waters? And I think when Cam is back, one, he's chomping at the bit. Two, uh, as said, talked about, he knows his role. He embraces his role. Um, he brings energy. So you know, we were missing that 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 play with Aiden and I think it was Bridges, right, where they just Aiden was attempting to pass the ball look like and uh you know someone just comes and swoops it up and goes the other way so i think to me that's the biggest piece it's not going to solve everything obviously we have a, a ton of guys out um but it's what is going to bring that consistency and that fire and i i really believe when he gets back and i'm sure they're not going to rush it of course everybody's anxious with with all the injuries we have but uh when he gets back I, i'm really excited just for the relief of energy uh would be my biggest piece that he's going to bring to uh, the floor, but also to the team. Right. And that's what I saw in that Minnesota game on Friday night. They basically lost that game from the start. They were down by as much as, what, 22? And, and so they had to come back in the end. They had a solid fourth quarter and, and, and turned it on in the second half. But the Suns, from what I've seen, they've been playing a lot of just one halves of basketball, not just two, you know, the whole game, but they've been playing a lot of one halves. You can attribute that maybe to the injuries and the guys being without most of their starters. But I've seen that a lot this season where they've had a lot of comeback games. And it just seems that, you know, when they, in order for them to come back and win, they need their starters and they need a guy like Cam. When I saw, I think, Patrick, you were referencing a referring to a play when uh, Aiden had the ball and he lost it and he basically was waiting for Torrey Craig to get it. And then yeah. uh, the, you know, the, the, then they had the, the breakaway dunk on the other end uh, for the Timberwolves, right? So that energy is definitely necessary. But it seems like two things occur to me when it comes to Cam's comeback. Cam Johnson, they will keep him off the ball at first because they do not want him on the ball heavy uh, to re-injure himself possibly. That was the plan at the start of the season to have Cam and Mikhail Bridges handle the ball more and bring it up the offense to keep Chris Paul off the ball more. I don't see them doing that with Cam Johnson as he's gingerly working his way back into the offense. And two, there are some things that I feel – um, that the Suns are going to need for rebounding purposes. So, you know, with the, the, their aggression in the paint and rebounding, especially for the offensive boards, they're going to probably only get they, – they're going to start him probably, but 
they're going to manage the minutes uh, with, you know, with Torrey Craig probably playing more than him, even though Cam will start. It's a, they'll do probably more pin downs and what they can to work him off screens so that way he gets his shots and finds his rhythm. And that, But he will definitely uh, basically have stuff that he won't be attacking as much, but he will be in the means of, you know, getting down low and trying to get a rebound because Cam Johnson is a great rebounder. That's the great thing. He's got great leaping ability, and I've seen him in practice uh, lately and getting back into it. But he, they will try to probably limit his minutes uh, a little bit to, like, maybe 25 uh, when Torrey might play more to, like, 30. Because Torrey's been playing well, as, you know, in this stretch that Cam's been out since November 4th and they lost to the Blazers. Um, and that's been – basically the better part of 35 games. So yeah. it's been it, – it, it'll be interesting to see where Cam comes in and, and, and makes that difference uh, that the Sun – and that, that Golden State game, you know, it's almost seemed like they had Cam Johnson's energy there, and they need a guy like that towards the end of the game. And then Saban Lee was basically a holdover, you know, on a 10-day. And he's a great – decent ball handler, but I see some times where he gets too unselfish – at times. And so with Cam Johnson, he at least he has an outlet to throw to who's was going to let it fly cuz a lot of the Suns they 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 aren't letting it fly, you know, when they need to and they have a guy who's inexperienced like Saban Lee out there. So hey, said, Go ahead, I'm sorry. You said something interesting that that uh that really you know triggers me back to my playing days where that a lot of people would say you know that this superstar uh makes his teammates better. And you said they want to take the ball out of Chris Paul's hand and and let Mikel and Cam handle it a little bit. And and what that does when Chris Paul is, if they're trying to keep his health or his miles down, so to speak, and what that does when, and when you don't have Devin and also uh, Cam coming off the bench at the point too, uh, it, it puts you in a position where I don't. I, I I do not like when people say, "Ah, oh, make, he makes that guy better." It doesn't make a. It just makes them easier. It makes their job easier, mm -hmm. uh, because it's a lot of pressure handling that ball. You know, all the time that Chris Paul has has it, uh, handling every play. Like Devin Book, having almost every play is going through Devin Booker, and then you might have some Aiden, uh, you know, pin downs and stuff like that. But it's going through the the bulk of the offense, and and. Uh, me playing with Charles uh, and, and for years and years uh, and the emphasis on defense was to stop Charles double team when he passes out of the double teams. He finds Marley. He finds myself, uh, uh, you know, Mark West cutting stuff like that. Uh, it, it didn't make us better. It didn't make us better players. It just made our job a lot easier. Now, switching over from getting the trade from Phoenix to Los Angeles when the ball uh, is in Nick Van Exel's hands, and I don't even I don't even have a play. I've never really had plays, but I don't even have a play. And it's it's just the way the ball rotates around. So it doesn't make make players better, but it just makes their role a lot easier. And, and a lot of people, especially fourth quarter, do not want that basketball. You know, they do not want that basketball. Close games, uh, they don't need that basketball. That's that's up to the staff, and that's up to the the players to to make those decisions. But uh, when when people always state that, like, oh, yeah, he makes, you know, we talked about Dallas. I talked about Dallas earlier. Like, Luca's making these guys better. He's not making them better, obviously. That's why their record is where they are. He uh, just makes their job a lot easier. And easier and better are two different things. No, I agree. And Maani has said that uh, a couple of months ago when he described Chris from the time they had together in New Orleans 
when they were the New Orleans Hornets. Monty was the head coach, and Chris was in his first couple years in the league uh, before he got traded to uh, the Clippers. And Monty said that Chris felt at times, he told him, that he would handle the ball so much all game that he'd be worn down. Yeah, and Coming up the court with the ball every single play and managing the offense is just something that just totally wears you down in a way that it just makes you feel like you're not productive as you can be after a while. In yeah. that way with Chris being, he's entering his 38th year of life. Uh, that's basically probably why they tried to do that. So, cause he's been injured and he gets at the point where father time is catching up and father time will catch up much faster if he's on the ball so much more. And that's why they had that plan at the start of the season for Cam and you know, Johnson and for McHale to do it. And we saw a little bit of that the other night against Golden State um, and how the Suns beat them. But you saw how much trouble they had without a primary ball handler trying to go big and not keeping it small towards the end. And I understand for the rebounding purposes, but uh, it, it definitely, definitely took effect on them. But I want to do a quick segue to the 92-93 reunion. Uh, we brought that up, actually, with you and Charles and D Dumas and everybody you know, from that great Suns team that made the finals. And that's going to be a reunion at the Footprint Center on January 21st when the Suns play the Pacers. Yep. They're going to honor you guys. Uh, that was a great team to watch. I still got some of those games on VHS from the 93 finals versus the Bulls. You know, tell me about that group said that made it so special and why is it still one of the most cherished teams in Phoenix sports history? Wow, that's, that's a lot to, to cover. But, you know, let's start with the cherished sports team in Phoenix uh, in Arizona history. Uh, you know, we didn't have the Diamondbacks, uh, the Coyotes. Uh, the Cardinals were here, but they weren't as prominent. They didn't have a new stadium. They were playing in ASU. Uh, you know, Bitwell wasn't really into the community like, he, you know, like the Cardinals has switched over to now. So, you know, seeing a, a, a Arizona Cardinal, if you weren't, following them so to speak right. in the in in the in the mall in the mall in in the restaurants and hanging around you didn't see them as much with the sons you, you know jerry made it a point to get in the community to to be at all of the the events uh, uh with his organization with his players and uh you know uh, it's funny because when they were honoring myself at the boston game i talked to tom chambers and, and i think uh um I mentioned how important Tom Chambers was with, to this team because this was KJ and Tom's team. Right. Before Charles got here with the trade. I mean, the ball touched those two, you know, nine out of 10 times coming down the floor. Uh, and I obviously Tom was going through some, some injuries. He wasn't declining. He just was going through some injuries. Yeah. But I think the most important thing is when Charles got to the squad one, he, he, he gave us an opportunity for, uh, to sway the officials our way, which we couldn't do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, losing the game against Portland, they had Clyde Drexler. Uh, Clyde was a little bit bigger superstar than Tom and KJ. Uh, before that, we lost to uh, Utah. John Stockton, Carl Malone, bigger superstars, you know, got the calls, got the sway. When, I mean, it was close. Go five games, you go six games. 
But yeah, these are dream teamers. Yeah, these right. are dream teamers, and we just couldn't get over the hump. So now with Charles on our squad, you know, you know Charles. I mean, he can yell at the refs, get to a point where he gets a technical, knows how to calm himself down. But it would sway our decision uh, uh, on on the outcome of some games, and gave us a little bit more confidence that we can get away from some sneaky stuff and get away with this and that and the other. Uh, so when Charles came in, he, we, we stuck our chest out. We knew we had a chance against Patrick Ewing. We knew he had a chance against Michael Jordan. Uh, you know, uh, Seattle's monster team, Gary Payton, Sean Kent. We knew we had a chance. Not that KJ and Tom weren't great all-stars, but they weren't superstars. And when you have a superstar on your team, it helps it out. And then we all played our role. I mean, obviously, Dan Marley's an all-star. I was an all-star uh, uh, after I left. But, uh, you know, you know, losing Jeff Hornacek, a great shooter, a great team blue guy, uh, an all-star, uh, was tough, but everybody played their role. They knew Charles, and they knew where it was going, the ball was going through Charles. But the way Charles played, it did not matter if he touched the ball or not because the ball was just so fluent. And and we knew we had something special. We opened up the new arena, American Airline, uh, America West uh, Arena. Yeah. Uh, the new, new logos, right. the new logos, the new uniforms, uh, just the new attitude uh, and the buzz around. I mean, I, I would talk to people now when they come out to our autograph signings and it was like, when you guys were playing, you couldn't even get gas because whoever the gas attendant was, was watching the tube or listening <laughs> to Al on the, on the box. And, and they, you know, get, get what you want to get, you know, come back and pay me later, that type of thing. Uh, you know, which was crazy because I was, this is a quick story. I was late for our parade. Um, I was late for our parade and uh, I was panicking. You know how you late and you got that little cold sweat. Yeah. I had no problem getting to the parade because the whole city was shut down. There was no traffic. It was nobody nowhere because they were, <laughs> I mean, half of the state was downtown. And, you know, and and that just shows you how much they appreciate it. I mean, look at the, the turnout afterwards uh, in the finals at the at the airport, uh, the radio stations, the TV stations. And we embraced it. Uh you know, you, you know, you don't get that anymore. And I think a lot has changed. Obviously, the dollar amount has changed. But for Charles Barkley, like let's let's take for instance right now. And I'm not, and I'm not throwing shade at Devin or or Aiden or Chris Paul being the superstars of this team. Charles Barkley, on his way to the games, would pick up his cell phone and call radio stations, not sports stations. Music radio stations, my guy Super Snake, they would call him like, what's up, man? Hey, man, we getting ready to play Seattle. We getting ready to play San Antonio. Hey, put on this song right here while I'm driving. And they put that on the air. Like stuff like that doesn't, it just doesn't happen anymore. Even though we got social media and we got our own press conference in our hands right now. Yeah. Little things like that is what made the town, the state and, and sports fans here in Arizona and around the world uh, recognize that. I mean, think about it. Charles probably one of the greatest of all time. Right. And you get a phone call from Charles Barkley and you're, you're a dot, you're a DJ, a jock on, and he's on his way to the game and he's telling you, Hey, put this song on so I can get excited about playing, you know, Miami or get excited playing about New York. It's, it's unbelievable. I'm going to try that next time you get on the air, man. I'm going to say, you know, play Patrice Russian, forget me not. I'm on my way to you know, covering the Suns game <laughs> when you're on 104.3, all right? <laughs> uh, no doubt. What was the, what, if, you, if you could tell me, Patrick, if you were here. Yeah, I was. What What was the feeling on the outside looking? I knew on the inside looking at how it was, but how was it 
you know, we pulling up into the tunnel and it's just 200, yep. 300 people just high-fiving, especially if you had a convertible. It was just the, the, the greatest feeling. Yeah, it, that's what it is. Is you you hit on the head the feeling like everything was shut down. You you weren't anywhere else. It was a talk, you know, before it even you know, led up to it. It was the excitement. You know, I was a young kid. I was eight at the time, and just you know, as a young kid, like you're just looking forward to it. Like let's go, let's go. You know, let's go, mom. Like it's just nonstop, and to have that at you know from from the youth to the old, um, that that feeling. You know, I can only imagine being on the inside as a player, but um, it, it it there's nothing like it. And so to to your point like i am so excited for saturday next week uh just to have that feeling again with you know a, a number of those guys coming back including yourself um and and then obviously charles because he doesn't get around as often he lives here and talks about us but with you know tnt so to have him in in there with the entire group and not just you know we've done 90s nights these yeah. this year and it's like one or two guys here or there but um, to have this like reunion piece i know from a fan's perspective we are we are so amped so i just can't wait uh for that to take place and i know the players probably are going to feel that energy too and you know regardless of who we have on the court it, it's going to be a, a night to remember for sure yeah man shout out to those 90s nights because it seems like when dj automatic uh, the sun's arena the footprint center plays all the 90s stuff he does it anyway <laughs> but he he had black sheep uh he dressed from black sheep out there montel jordan who we discussed earlier uh in a couple episodes back and he had cl smooth from P. Rock and Seal Smooth, which was definitely one of my personal favorite, you know, when he did Straighten It Out and uh, They Reminisce Over You, um, Down With The King. The, those songs are near and dear to my heart, you know, growing up in the tri-state area back in the Northeast. So, um, you know, it, it being in, in my New York roots and Connecticut roots too, of course. So, yeah, the things about uh, what you said about – full service gas stations that just doesn't happen anymore and also a cell phone it must have been a brick that you held it close to your ear and like a, <laughs> back in that time in 93 because those things were not accessible you were balling like off the court if you had a cell phone back then and also certain things about i saw uh, pictures of a parade you had after you lost in the finals yeah yeah that's what i was talking about me going to the parade it was no traffic. And, and the fact that, you know, we have 300, uh, who, who knows how many, 300 to 500,000 people to the losing team's parade. Like, first things first, we lost and we had a parade. That lets <laughs> you know right there. We lost and we had a parade. Like, that lets you know how big the state was behind us. And, and, and we fought as hard as we could. Uh, against, you know, obviously one of the greatest to ever do it, Michael Jordan. But uh, it, it, it just goes to show you, you know, even when you, you look at the footage of Chicago's parade that year, you know, you still go, eh, it was all right. They was in the park. Yeah, it was all right. But, man, look at this Phoenix. They lost and they had all of these people out there and just, just incredible. Usually there's a riot when it comes to that, <laughs> you know, people or teams that lose, right? Like the Vancouver Canucks, when they lost yeah. in, 90, in 94 to the Rangers, I remember that dude's getting teed off on, you know. And <laughs> Even game six, uh, Dana, uh, every, no, nobody moved. Like we had all showered, you know, did our interviews and whatever and came back out. It was still, about five to ten thousand people just sitting in their seats, stunned, and 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 I, I, that's what I love too about uh, you know the staff of at that time uh, um, America West Arena, 
they weren't forcing everybody to leave. They were stunned too. Cause you know, the security and, and the hospitality suites, all that stuff, they were with us too. They had, they were backing us too. the front office, all of that, man, from Rich Dozier, Harvey Shank, you know, Jerry had put together a great crew uh, and, and they learned from that experience and obviously moved over to the Diamondbacks and Diamondbacks got the win over my beloved Yankees. But uh, yeah. that, that, that year, that unit uh, and that squad, unfortunately, you know, we'll talk about that another time on how that squad was dismantled that year afterward. Yeah. It was, it, it was us kind of, you know, I think that might've been, if we, we didn't get that much attention from the state, we might've kept that cohesiveness and that unit together. But, you know, we, we were cloud nine and we didn't even win the thing. It's crazy, man. It reminds me of that old Ren and Stippy episode of the, you know, Ren and Stippy representing the, the Americans and the versus the Russians trying to race to the moon and, you know, the Americans getting there first and uh, they're chanting, we're number one. And then in Russia, there's a clip of showing we're number two. We're like a big parade for that. So anyway, we got about five minutes left in our show. And then we're going to discuss the Memphis versus Suns game tomorrow. They're in Memphis. Uh, they, they've split their matchups uh, from earlier this season. Suns won their last matchup in Memphis, and then before then, the Suns got killed uh, by the Grizzlies in Phoenix. Who do you think takes it tomorrow? And the Suns being shorthanded at that. We'll go with uh, Patrick first and then said. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's going to be a big day. A lot of energy, excitement goes around uh, having the opportunity to play tomorrow. You know, that's not something that I know teams and players take lightly. Uh, being on the road is going to make it tough. I look to see us uh, energized, similar to what we saw at Golden State, right? Um, so a lot of our guys just for big games come out and just stand up. And I think uh, that's what I expect to see tomorrow. So I think it'll be competitive. I know Memphis is going to be uh, just as excited again. They're at home. So we have that going against us, regardless of who we have playing for us. But uh, I feel good that, that this will be a competitive game. And I think we're going to squeeze this one off just because of um, the excitement and the fact, again, that we're having the opportunity to play as one of only a few teams that get to play on a holiday like that. Yeah. And in, in playing on that holiday, uh, was something that, you know, in my era, you know, that was one of the things the Players Association uh, made made that a no-no, playing on MLK Monday and also uh, the 1st of January uh, after New Year's. And for them to switch that over and and, and people really respect and honor, uh, especially how long it took us to, to acknowledge here in the state of Arizona the era, the MLK holiday, you know, uh, it forced us some of the Super Bowl. They were saying like, no, nah, you guys can't have the Super Bowl. And that kind of pushed them over the hump. Uh, you know, players said they didn't want to, if they did make it to the Super Bowl, they didn't want to come here because of that. Uh, and that's great. And obviously being in Memphis playing that game, there's going to be a lot of hype. But then sometimes uh, when you do get a lot of hype like that, you, you know, as, as we, the Suns did against Golden State when Lee getting his ring and that all that attention and, Steph coming back and all that, you know, you, you, you tend to, you know, overpower that energy and, and it, it goes to waste for that, for that home team who's embracing this holiday and, and have a lot of things. They don't take care of the things and, you, and, and it's like you against the world. That's why I always respected being on the road because you have, you're a tighter unit when you're on the road. 
everybody has their separate things when they're when they're not on the road, but everybody's on the bus, everybody's on the plane, everybody's eating together, everybody's you know next door to each other in the hallways and in the, the hotels. So it kind of brings you guys closer together, like me against the world type of thing. So uh, if, if this is an opportunity for them to make a statement, especially because Ja and his squad are, are really playing well after you know getting their health problems out of the way and being very dangerous. Uh, being he all right, his statement saying he's all right in the West. Uh, this would be a good uh, eye opener because everybody's going to be watching. Everybody's going to be off, uh, you know, got their TVs tuned in, uh, you know, barbecues popping, you know. So if you don't ruin the barbecue, it's going to be a good game for you to watch. Absolutely. And this will be a big game for MLK's holiday, his birthday observed, and that it'll be today marks his 94th birthday, January 15th. Uh, it would have been 94, and it's also the 55th uh, anniversary year since he was assassinated in Memphis, so there will be a lot riding high from that, and I think the Suns definitely will give a competitive run, but I do believe that Memphis will have a lot of inspiration from seeing uh, a lot of the Dr. King memorabilia before the game and during the game, so they have a lot to, and also they'll have the font, probably those jerseys that the, the I Am A Man uh, picket signs from you know the civil rights movement that they'll probably be wearing those. So there's a lot of uh, things to account for in that way. Well, thanks for everybody for listening. Appreciate it. Listen out for episode 22 of the Inferno Suns podcast. I'm Dana Scott for Patrick Matillo and Seth Sabalas. We say peace, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.